everybody tonight. Welcome to Bible study. Glad you're here. I'm going to take a moment and pray. Ask God's blessing on our time and then begin our study. Father, thanks for this uh, a ridiculous amount of grace in our lives and a ridiculous amount of love, a ridiculous amount of forgiveness, and a ridiculous amount of mercy. We give you thanks tonight that you pour out more than we could ever even understand. And you give us more than we could even ever understand. And so we give you thanks tonight of what we do see and we do understand. We give you thanks that, God, beyond that, we know that you're still pouring out. So we ask God your blessing tonight on our time. We ask that you would lead us, guide us. I pray, Father, that uh, we would respond to you tonight. And I ask you that uh, as we hear what you have to say, uh, as you speak to us individually by your Holy Spirit, I pray that we would be moved on and that we would respond. We would allow for response in our life. So God, we ask that you have your way. pray that you be glorified. We pray that you teach us tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Once you get to Luke chapter 1, I need a volunteer to read verses 74 and 75. 74 and 75. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. Alright, thanks for that. Now if you read above that, uh, you can leisurely look that if you like. Uh, This is a prophecy that is being given by Zechariah. Uh, He's a a guy that was there, uh, and uh, this is all centered around Jesus as the Messiah. It's centered around uh, what's going on in the temple at that time, uh, what's going on in the history of Israel. And Zechariah prophesies, and these are some of the words that he prophesies. And so, uh, we're just to encourage you to look at that in the sense that uh, these words are speaking not only for the time that they're in, but they're also speaking toward another time, toward something that was coming. And as I mentioned in previous weeks, we were looking at Ezra and Nehemiah, and that they would speak and they would prophesy, and they were prophesying more than just what was going on right then, but they were prophesying toward something that was coming. They were prophesying toward something that people couldn't see yet. And that's part of the role of a prophet is to see beyond what's physically there, see beyond the obvious that everyone sees, and to be able to speak into something that no one else sees, and to be willing to do that. 
and be willing to share something that maybe other people, they just don't have that sight. They don't have that insight. Well, that's the role of the prophet. And so Zechariah was doing that. He was speaking to the situation at hand, and there was a situation at hand, and Israel was in a situation as a nation, and Jerusalem was in a situation as a nation, and Jesus and his parents were in a situation, and so he was speaking to all of those things, but he was also speaking much more broadly than that. He was speaking towards something that we would understand as being the kingdom of God. He was speaking toward John the Baptist. He was speaking toward the ushering in of what Jesus was going to bring and who Jesus was going to be. And it's important to understand that portion of it, understand that role of the prophet, really to understand how to read it and how to interpret it. Same thing with Ezra and Nehemiah. Same thing with Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and, and all the minor prophets of the Old Testament. You have to read it and, and really allow the Holy Spirit to give you some understanding. Uh, as you read through the New Testament, you see the apostles, see the disciples, see Jesus teaching, and they draw on sources from the Old Testament. They, they draw on prophecies that were made in the Old Testament, and they say things like this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet when he said. And, and whether it be Jesus doing that, or whether it was someone in the book of Acts doing that, or whether it was Paul in one of his letters doing that, that was a common practice in the New Testament, New Testament church to utilize that which they knew from the prophets of the Old Testament because they were speaking toward the kingdom that they were now participating in and to recognize that they had said this, it could have been 400 years before. They had seen it. They had prophesied toward it. Some of it was thousands of years before when they quote Moses. But Moses was a prophet and he spoke to things thousands of years in advance and, and moving forward and seeing a kingdom that even though no one could see it physically, he could see it spiritually. And so they're bringing together God's purposes and God's plan through His Word. And some of that Word was spoken way, way, way long before Jesus was there. Way, way a long time before the apostles were there. And I think somehow that's important for us too, and, and at least I consider it important because it helps to ground things. It helps us to understand that we have an identity that's bigger than this moment. We have an identity that's bigger than our 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, 70, however long we've been here. But our identity, and we identify as a people, and our people go back much further. And we have written records of our people way, way, way back. As we look at the apostles, we look at the early church over 2,000 years ago, and understanding that we are a part of that and that they understood themselves to be a part of something went back thousands of years even before that. And we have an identity with them. And so to me, that's something that's very grounding to me. That's something that helps me to understand my place better. That I'm not just just here in the moment, but that there is a rich and powerful history in what we're doing. And a rich and powerful culture and what we're doing. And to understand that we're part of something bigger, not only in the moment, bigger than here, but also in in history, that we're part of something bigger too. So, Zechariah begins to prophesy, and I just want to 
just take some of the things that he says because there's something that he speaks to here and he speaks the idea of rescue or deliverance. And that's the beginning of the verses that we're looking at which were part of his prophecy. But the form in the Greek as it's written there in the Gospel is extremely definite. In other words, it's more definite than... you might read it in English. It's a very definite understanding of what would be the role of Jesus in rescue and deliverance. It was an absolute role. It was was what the end was going to be. In other words, what's the end game to Jesus coming? What's the end game to the work of the Gospel? What's the end game to what is being revealed through what they're doing. Well, the end game is this, and it's that definite in the Greek, that the, the end game is pointed to, and here is the promise. And this is what it's about. And so he begins to speak to this idea of rescue and deliverance. And I want to say this too. Our understanding of the gospel, and I'm talking about individually, our understanding of the gospel, your understanding of the gospel, my understanding of the gospel is a process of discovery. That when we come to know Jesus and we come into relationship with Him, it's one thing. In other words, we have an understanding of the gospel. But that evolves. In other words, it grows. And so as we begin to learn more, as we begin to take in more of the full counsel of what God has said and how God's revealed Himself, that process continues and it's that process of discovery where we begin to discover how rich it is and how it can affect more of our lives. How it can change things. And you never stop discovering things from it. I mean, we never stop discovering what Jesus has done. And so the issue becomes that's not an intellectual pursuit only. It can be an intellectual pursuit, but there has to be more to it than that. It's not just an intellectual pursuit, but it's a pursuit that actually, if we can apply it into our lives, can actually affect our lives. A lot of how we choose to live and a lot of how we choose to go about our lives and, and, and go about our business during the day or whatever it is we do has to do with perspective. It has to do with how we see ourselves. It has to do with how we see the people around us. And the gospel does play a part in that. And as I was just saying a little bit earlier, that this whole idea of identity and understanding our identity and understanding where we've come from and how rich that history is, is important. Because we, we live in, in, in a culture, and, and the gospel is always presented in such a way that regardless of the culture, it's still applied. And I believe that was Jesus' intent from the very beginning. And that was something that, that I picked up on, and, and I really believe God showed me way back when I was first an early Christian, and we began to talk about doing ministry cross-culturally. We began to talk about, okay, we're going to go overseas, and we're going to share the gospel in different places, to people of different languages, of different cultures, people sometimes of embedded, and I mean like staunch religious backgrounds, but we're going to share the gospel with them. How do you do that? And we had to really begin to discover what that looks like and how that is done and how you present that and what it looks like when people are receiving something like that. And so that process took place in us first. Because we had to have some kind of a revelation 
I had to have some kind of revelation. The people with me had to have some kind of a revelation that this is something God wants to share, not just in the United States, not just in Western culture, not just among a people that have a Christian background, not just wherever it is our brains seem to be. But this is something to be shared across cultures, across languages, something to be shared across religious experiences, And so then, as that began to take root in us, and we allowed that to take root in us, more revelation came in how to do it. But it had to be applied. And so, as as concepts, as principles are shared, if we can apply them, that leads to more revelation in our lives. As we receive more revelation, that leads to change and action in our lives. And so what's happened is, is that we've become a church of missions. And this is before we were ever a church. I was a... Uh, campus minister on our college university campus at the time and we just began to go off the the university campus and do these trips overseas we started in Belgium and we went to Austria and we went to the Philippines and we, we just began to go and to share like I said across these languages and across these cultures sometimes we'd be among people that didn't like we, we would do things you know, I could pick something like a distinctive or something that we do. We pray in tongues. Well, they didn't pray in tongues. Okay. But we do. Alright? And so we would just go and do what we do. And there was something about that that, that God began to convince me of. We went to Brazil. We just do what we do. We went to wherever it was. We just do what we do. And the idea was is that we're going to go and we're going to minister. And people's lives are going to be changed. Because, you know, I share with you, we were in Austria. This is a long time ago. I mean, we're young. Young, young. Okay? Everybody was young. And we were in Austria. We just showed up. Now, I'd gone through all the paperwork. We were part of a large denomination at that time. Did all my paperwork. Okay? Did it all. Send it in. Well, somehow, the people that were in Germany, because we flew into Munich, didn't get the memo that we were coming. Right? So no one was at the airport to pick us up. But I had the address. So we all hopped on public transportation, took buses and trains and planes and automobiles, and we got to the address, just showed up at the address, and then just looking at us dumbfounded, like, where'd you come from? Like, we're part of the team. And like, oh, well, we needed a team. I'm like, well, good. Well, good. We got somewhere, we're going to send you down to Austria. And you're going to do a tent meeting down in Austria, Felkirk, Austria. Right, cool. So he sent us down to Austria, and they had this huge circus tent they'd set up down there, and they sent somebody with us. He was supposed to watch us and take care of us. He was a full-time missionary over there, and I think we watched and took care of him more than he took care of us. I mean, because we, you know, we had to rent a van, we had to do a bunch of stuff, and he didn't know how to do any of that stuff. I'm like, come on, I'll show you, you know. So we just did it. And, and we drove down there in this van. We got there. We set up and we participated in these tent meetings. And there were all kinds of things that happened. The pastor that was running the tent crusade, he had a church of maybe three people, four people, all right? And so he needed the tent crusade bad. And so we're just there to help. What do you need us to do? You need us to go out and invite people? Go out and invite people. Door to door? Sure. You want us to hand out uh, flyers? We'll do it. You know, I, don't think, I think I was the only person there that spoke German. So, you know, we were just walking up to people smiling and nodding our heads a lot, right? 
And and so you know, we, I preached with a translator. We had miraculous services there. And the pastor, and what I was going to say about him, he didn't believe in that. He didn't believe that miracles were for today. He didn't believe in speaking in tongues. He didn't believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We just did it. We just did it. And he started to talk to me one time right when we got there. And I'm like, hey, we're visitors. We're from somewhere else. Just blame it on that. You don't have to identify with us. You don't have to say you do any of this stuff. Just let us go about our business and just blame it on the fact we're from America and, and just let it go. And, and I said, besides that, you got three people in your church. We ain't going to do any harm. All right? And so we cut loose there. And we saw, uh, we saw a woman get healed, uh, had a heart attack at one of the meetings and was healed. We saw uh, two Mormon missionaries come to the meetings every night that we were there. One of them, one of them prayed to know Jesus. You know, our way, not their way. All right? And the, and the only way that happened is I was standing up front and I looked at those guys and I called them out. I called one, the one guy out and I said, hey. And I started telling him about his sister. And I said how oh, she was messed up or whatever was going on in her life. And, and he's like, well, what was her name? And I told her, I told him her name. God gave me the name. And he's like, dang. Right? Dang. And, and there were other healings, deliverances, all these things happened. And it was just miraculous. Miraculous. That was the plan. That's what God told us from the start. He said, the Bible talks about how they would share the gospel with signs and wonders following to confirm the word. And that's what we had to believe for. I mean, we've been in Islamic republics doing the same thing. Right? We go into communist, like, shut down countries like China. And we go, we go from, you know, on their university campuses and, and we pray with people every time we're there. Right? Not just one or two, but lots. Sometimes whole groups of students will pray with us on these campuses. But we depend on God to reveal something. We depend on God to say something. We depend on God to do something to confirm His Word. How do you do that? That's the only way I know. And so, that revelation that I allow to take root in my life, right? Follow me? It starts with you read something, you hear something, and it means something to you, and you let it take root. I'm sick of, you know, uh, it's so frustrating. I shouldn't say I'm sick of. It's so frustrating to get up and just pour your heart out, and people will just leave the same way they came. It's almost like nothing can ever touch us. Nothing. Nothing can touch us. You know, our hearts are set, or it's hard, or whatever you want to say, or cold, or however you want to describe it, but, man, when God's moving, and when God's speaking, something should happen. Sorry. Something should happen. Something should happen in, in my heart. Something should happen in your heart. We should let that affect us. Because you don't know where that's going to end. And so that process of revelation, that process of understanding, that process of coming into the deeper place with Jesus, it needs to take place. 
Because what that does is begin to move in us and give us opportunity for change, give us opportunity for growth, give us opportunity for deeper understanding. It's one thing to, to, to have some kind of mental assent, like say yes to something that's true in the gospel. It's another thing to actually take it into your life, apply it, and live it. Those are two different things. Because people all time they'll talk about, well, yeah, I know this, this, and this. People know lots of stuff. People know lots of stuff. If they could only apply something they know that actually changes into some kind of action for their life, man, that'd be a world changer. It would. It'd be people changing. Because that's how it goes. But just knowing something, it doesn't get it done. It just doesn't. You know, a lot of people know a lot about the Bible, don't know Jesus. A lot of people know a lot about ancient languages, don't know Jesus. A lot of people know a lot about a lot of things, don't know Jesus. And what we're talking about here is the gospel. If you're going to be any good at the gospel, you got to know Jesus. If you're going to be any good with it. And I've had and I've had professors in college that would teach the Bible. The ones that were really Christians are a lot better at it. They just were. I mean, I can hear, you know, like factoids and, and stuff like that about this and that. It's pretty dry. But when people actually know Jesus, they're really good at teaching about the gospel. That's the guy I want teaching me about New Testament. He is? In fact, so much I took the same guy for some Bible history classes. Because even Bible history is better and, and new church history is better by a Christian. Because they're connected. They have a spirit in them that connects them to that moment, to that time. Does that mean there's bad, you, know, you have to be a Christian to be a good history teacher? Not at all. That's not what I'm saying. But if I'm trying to connect to spiritual aspects of where we came from, then it's kind of important. If you're going to be any good with the gospel, you got to be. You got to know Jesus. Just you do. You do. So this is kind of that key moment where he begins to prophesy and he speaks this word. And he gives, it's a pretty comprehensive vision. It's a pretty comprehensive view if you read the whole thing. He says there in Luke 1, 74, 75, read above that, read below that. You see a pretty comprehensive vision that's being given of what's happening and, and, and what this gospel is all about. And so the purpose is is that it describes a kingdom, this kingdom of God, that's not bound by time. It's not temporal. In other words, it extends in every direction, in every direction, past, future, now, between us, between us and God. And so that kingdom isn't dependent on a moment in time. It's not dependent on a moment in or being around the right person or the right group of people. That kingdom is eternal and extends in every direction. That's what's being described here. That the purpose that's being described here has to do with an end for which deliverance is the means. And so he speaks rescue and deliverance. That's the gospel. But it has, there's, a, there's a reason for it. 
that we're rescued and we're delivered for a reason. Not just that's not the reason. That's the means. And so he describes that means by which we're delivered. He describes that that means by which we're rescued, but there's an end to that. That that is that we have to take on to ourselves. You've been rescued and you've been delivered for a reason. There's been a purpose for that. Whether you grasp it completely right now or you don't grasp it completely right now, there is a purpose to it that you need to get a hold of. And for me to tell you that purpose, you know, go through that purpose, which I probably will, it doesn't matter though. It doesn't. You have to know it. You have to get it. I'm going to tell you nothing tonight that I haven't told you more than one time. Alright? And, and I'm always happy. I have somebody come up to me after a teaching or after a Sunday or something, and they'll be like, wow, I've never heard that before. That was awesome. I could probably flip back in my notes, all right, a month or two, and I said the same thing then. But they weren't ready to hear it. They couldn't hear it. Or they weren't paying attention. Or they were playing something on their phone or something happened. They are distracted. Whatever happens, happens. But I'm not worried about that. But the idea is like... One day it hits. Let it hit. One day you it occurs to you. Let it occur. One day your eyes are open. Keep them open. Take it in. Take it in. Let his word have its effect in your life, please, please, because that's what leads to change and growth. And being good at the gospel does. That's the revelation. That's the time. So in these verses, he goes on. He talks about serving God. Serving God is an honor. It's privilege. It's not some kind of drudgery. And... I, it, it's always interesting to run across kind of old, crusty Christians that serving God is like the biggest pain in their butt they've ever had in their life. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, good. But I've been around people like that. I've, I've shared time with people like that. And it's just how they were brought up or something. I don't know. They don't know any better. And so they see serving God as something that has to be done. It's like, well, this is the this, this is the consequence of knowing Jesus. This is my job because He rescued me. But it's, they don't see it as a privilege. They don't see it as an honor to do it. You see, serving Jesus isn't a legal service. It's not just your your legal responsibility. It's just not. In fact, I don't think he wants it to be at all. I don't think he cares enough about it for it to be a legal responsibility. But I think he gives us the opportunity because he loves us. And so we have the privilege, we have the honor, we have the opportunity because he graces us with that. And so if you come from a background where it was presented to you as some kind of a legal service, it's like something you had to do, that's something that needs to be rejected. Something that needs to be laid aside and you know, take up a different way of seeing it. 
know, a lot of people that feel that way, they just eventually leave anyway. Right? It becomes just this drudgery in their life. They don't want to deal with it, and that's it. That's it. And so they leave it behind, and they go do something else. I've never been able to figure out, and, and I know you're not going to believe me with this, but this is the truth. I've never been fi- able to figure out, if you don't want to be a Christian, then why don't you go do something else? I mean, not to be rude about it or anything, but that's kind of how I see it. Or I think about it. I think if, I, if I had no interest in Christ, I wouldn't be doing this. I'd have no reason to. I, you know, I went to church you know, every Sunday, and sometimes on Wednesdays, and every Sunday twice for a long time when I was a little kid. And it didn't stick. You know why I went as a little kid? You know why? Because I had to. That's right. And, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Kids don't know what they need to do, and so you tell them what to do, alright? Eat your vegetables, finish, you know, clean up your plate, whatever it is. You know, people these days, they think, you know, we're kind of born like wolves are. That we have some kind of DNA imprint, and little kids know exactly how to dress, and what to do, and how to eat, and how to take care of themselves. So parents are like, well, you decide. Yeah, well, that little kid can't decide, because they don't know what they're doing. You have to teach them. Mom, Dad, we're not wolves. We don't have that imprint in us. We're not going to come out and just go hunting. No little babies go hunting for food. Got to feed them. You got to take care of them. You got to bring them in from the cold. You got to teach them how to live. So wherever that idea came from, I have no idea. And I'm not all about smothering a child for his whole life, but I am about you take care of little kids and you got to teach them how to live. That's our job. I don't know why I'm talking about this, but I am. So I'm excited about it. Uh, Romulus and Rita. I didn't quite get that far off the track. <laughs> so I went to church, all right, and and so when I, you know, as I got older, a confusion set in because we moved away. That was my grandfather's church, and we moved away. I was with my mom and and my dad. And he was Christian scientist or something. She was uh, fallen, you know, like kind of fall away, backslid Baptist. And so that was my opportunity. And so I just didn't go to church. Didn't stick. Nothing stuck. They, they, you know, my mom would try to get me to go every now and then. I don't know why, because she didn't go. I'll drop you off. Well, thanks, mom, but no. <laughs> Appreciate it. So I didn't do that. And it wasn't until. I was in college, and I actually had an encounter with Jesus. I was in my bed at night in my dorm room. I wasn't at a meeting or anything. wasn't around people. I was by myself. I had an encounter with Jesus that night. And everything changed. Because I wanted to be with Him. I counted it a privilege that the God of the universe wanted to spend time with me, so I took Him up on it, and I spent time with Him. But there's a whole different way of seeing it. I wasn't being dragged anywhere. I wasn't being told, you know, kicking and screaming, I gotta go. Look a certain way, talk a certain way, comb your hair. It was, I had an encounter with the living God and I wanted to be around him and with him and with his people. That was it. And so I did. And I counted that a privilege to serve him. And I have ever since. I mean, I have my days where, you know, I'm a little disgusted with things, but it happens. But for the most part, and the overriding principle that I'm talking about, is a counter privilege. I want to be with him. But I had a personal encounter with him. 
It wasn't until that personal encounter that I even cared. It wasn't until that personal encounter that I even, you know, even gave a rip about it. And so that's what I say. Because when I didn't have that personal encounter, and even though I was brought up a certain way, and even though I was forced to do certain things, I never really felt compelled to keep going. And so if a person doesn't really have that relationship and, and they're, they're really serving out of some kind of weird sense or whatever it is, I don't know why they keep going. I don't. And so, I, you know, not that I discourage people, but I'm just saying I just don't know. So there's this idea that we have this opportunity to serve. And I want you to think three words when I say serve. The three words are honor, worship, and obedience. It's an honor. We serve Him in worship and obedience. Somebody look at Psalm 56.13. Psalm 56.13. For you have delivered my soul from death, yet my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of my life. Alright, so that's a simple verse from a psalm. And it speaks to this same idea that you read in this verse being prophesied about the kingdom. That, that, and I believe that psalm was prophecy about the kingdom. Why was he delivered? Why, why did he say he was delivered? Why was he saved? Why was he rescued? Did it say there, Patrick? You still there? Yeah. Um, so that I might walk before God in the light of my life. Yeah. Alright, so, so there's, this, there's this centered idea of relationship with God. There's a centered idea of walking, having conversation, have, and walking with God. Alright? Now think about original purposes in Adam and Eve. Think about the Garden of Eden. That they, got, they, they heard God walking through the garden in the cool of the day. Well, I doubt that was unusual. And so we have this idea of walking with God. We have this idea of, of spending time with Him and sharing life with Him. We have this idea of being in this kind of a relationship with Him. Because the next word there it speaks of, it says, without fear. And, and everybody, you know, they, they want to talk about fear. Fear the Lord, brother. Yeah. Well, I don't think people understand, even begin to understand what that really means. Because this verse is talking about this idea of rescue. It's talking about purpose. It's talking about service and worship, obedience. It's an honor for us. And if the way it's described is, is that it's done without fear. You see... Our favor with God goes way beyond death. It is certainly through our life. Uh, there's nothing that separates us uh, as far as what our life is concerned or our death is concerned from His favor. Because His favor is beyond. His favor is extending in and through our life. His grace extends in and through our life. His grace goes beyond life and it goes beyond death. 
And so when we are being told we've been rescued for a reason, we've been delivered for a reason, we're given a comprehensive view and a vision of what that looks like, it begins to speak to us of this eternal kingdom. It begins to speak to us of this kingdom that goes in every direction. Well, what's our part in that? Well, that part, our part in that is our relationship with Jesus. Our part in that is growing in that relationship with Jesus and finding that place, that privilege, that honor to actually serve within that. Because it is an honor. You know, it's not hard to serve someone you love. It's not. It's just not hard to serve someone you love. You know, you pretty much do anything for them. For free. Yeah. Because that's how we are. And so, the real idea here is that finding that place with Him, that life with Him, that relationship with Him, that love, and finding a place of honored service with Him, life with Him, walking with Him, having our conversation intertwined with Him in what He's doing and joining Him in that. Sometimes people will pick on my daughter Morgan and say, oh, you're daddy's girl. Well, she is. (laughs) And there's really not much I wouldn't do for her. In fact, I don't know of anything I wouldn't do for her. And, and it's an honor for me to do that and a privilege. And I can only imagine that as we grow in relationship with Jesus that I, I believe that all of us can experience that kind of a love going both ways. Because it, it's one thing for me to say, you know, I love her and I'll do anything. I'll do anything. But... We experience it from the other side of that. We experience that heart of God toward us. That same heart. I'll do anything. And we get the opportunity, we get the privilege to extend that back to Him. Yeah, I'll do anything for you too. So, it's important to see our relationship like that. And I just think sometimes we, we separate ourselves so much, we remove ourselves so much from that relationship and that equation that we really lose something that God is saying. That that part of the end game of the gospel, part of the end result of the gospel, that deliverance was the means for, rescue was the means for, and that salvation is this kind of a relationship with Him. You know, I want you to understand that most of the church looks at the gospel and the end game of the gospel is you get saved. Right? That's the means. That's the means to something better. See, that deliverance, that rescue, that's what salvation means. But that deliverance and that rescue, that's the means by which we get somewhere. Alright? That's not the end result. It's not just, oh, I got that, okay. No. No, there's a whole life now that, that we need to begin to experience. We need to begin to actually step into and experience on a daily basis in our lives. And not get stuck on stupid things. Not get stuck on 
you know, things that, that stick in our brain or whatever it is, but to, to really begin to move forward into that kind of a relationship and that kind of a conversation with Jesus where we're intertwined with Him walking every day. That's where we're heading. And everything that goes with that, the miraculous, the supernatural, the unusual, provision, life, hope, peace, healing, wholeness, Everything that goes with that, being intertwined with Him. Having that kind of like purpose, like world-changing, life-changing purpose intertwined into our life. You know, that begins to affect how you see yourself. That begins to affect what you expect of yourself and what you think God may do through you. What you begin to believe for in your life. Like bigger things, greater things. Things you haven't even thought of yet, but it'll come to you. And just believing God for those kind of things. So we've been we've been delivered with a purpose. So we're serving without fear. We're enjoying life without fear. We're intertwined with God and His purposes without fear. That we've been delivered from our foes, our spiritual enemies. Delivered. And does that mean he never puts up a fight? Well, sometimes he does. But you know what? If you live from the perspective, if you've been delivered from your spiritual enemies, you're going to be able to have a lot more authority when you deal with it. When it does come up. You're not coming at it from some weak place. Oh, I hope this works. You know, movies like, uh, and I don't know if you ever, movies, an old movie, like The Exorcist is an old movie. They didn't do Christians any favors right, in understanding our authority and understanding our rights and privileges in Jesus. Did not do us any favors. And other movies like that that depict certain things certain ways, they just don't do us any favors. Because they depict something that that Jesus has no intention for us to live in. And I don't just say that as some you know, well-protected uh, Christian living in America. Because as I've mentioned, you know, I've gone to some pretty dark places. And there's some places I haven't mentioned that I've gone to that are pretty dark places. Demon-possessed people, people that were violent, people that were demon-possessed and tossing people to and fro, things like that. Uh, voices coming out of people's mouths. Crazy, crazy stuff. Right? So I'm not coming from a perspective of, oh, you know, we don't deal with that here. Because we've dealt with it here, too. And we've dealt with it there. And we have missionaries in those places now. They live there. So the perspective I'm coming from isn't so much theoretical. I'm coming from a practical perspective of this is how things work if you'll accept it, if you'll live it, if you'll apply it to your life. This is the kind of deliverance, this is the kind of freedom from fear that we need to live in and really live in and experience and operate in and the gifts, the power, the anointings that God's given us. That's what we need to do.
if we're going to be effective, if we're going to be any good at the gospel. He uses two terms here. And I want you to hear these terms as a declaration. He says you will do these things in holiness and in righteousness. But that's a declaration. That's not a quiz. Follow me? He's not quizzing you if you're holy or righteous. That wasn't the intent on this. This is a declaration of the end game of what? The gospel of your deliverance. The end game of of you being set free and rescued. The end game of you entering into vision with Jesus and entering in, intertwined, walking with Him in conversation and life, in His purposes and in His power. This is how it ends. Is that He makes a declaration over you that you do these things. How? In righteousness and in holiness. It's a declaration. And if you look at those two words, they indicate two things. One is a vertical relationship between us and our God. Okay, that's holiness. And the other is a horizontal relationship between us and the people that are around us. That's righteousness. And that is the priesthood of the New Testament. It's talked about all over the New Testament. That's the priesthood right there. Because if you think about what's the function of a priest here and here, that's the function of a priest. So you have the vertical and you have the horizontal and the idea is is that we're declared that. It's a thing. It's not something that you earn. It's not like a merit badge. Oh, I earned my righteousness merit badge today. I'm working on holiness for next month. No, it doesn't work that way. Nothing works that way. Because you have thousands of years of the history of God's people proving that it doesn't work. It never did. It's not going to start working with you. You're not like the you're not like the mega exception to the rule. You're somebody like all those people were, and if that's what you're going to try to do, you will fail. Just like they did. They failed. The issue with them wasn't whether or not they could actually live up to it or anything else. The issue with them and most of those people that were there is they just didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And they didn't live under the declaration that the gospel brings into their lives. We do. We live under that kind of a declaration. Somebody look at Ephesians 4.24. Ephesians 4.24 So so what does he say there? What does he say? Mind your manners? What does he say? You put on what? The new self. And where would the new self come from? What does it say? He says it right there. Next word. Created. He created it. So, so you got the new self. It's a created thing. And it's that thing that brings the righteousness and brings the holiness. 
He declares it. You notice Paul didn't tell them, do this, 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 and this. Follow these you know, nine steps and you're going to be holy and righteous. Is that what it is? This is your merit badges. This is the steps during your merit badge. Nope. I'm going to give you a quiz. If you pass the quiz, I'll give you your holiness and righteousness. That's not what it is. None of that is. And the reason I keep harping on this is that enough people in this room were brought up within churches or around pseudo-religious people or real religious people that told them something else. And you got to somehow get something else into your head. Somehow. Take hold of it. Take hold of it. Somebody look at 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 2.10 1 Thessalonians 2.10 You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behave ourselves among you who believe. Isn't that nice? Anything else on that? As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as the Father does his own children. Okay, good. So what you begin to see, even in that, and some of the older versions will say that they lived their lives a certain way before them. How? What did it look like? Well, he describes it in that verse you read last. They exhorted them. They encouraged them. They, they spurred them on like a father does their child. Alright? That's, that's what it looked like. You see, in your brain, though, you read what he says in that, that verse 10, you think to yourself, wow, that must be, you know, he they must have been like super holy and righteous. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, in that case, it looks like I'm encouraging and I'm exhorting. I'm caring for you. That's what it looks like. Alright, so so I think somehow we're going to have to start changing the way we see things. Because this is the priesthood. This vertical and horizontal holiness, righteousness thing. This is the priesthood of the New Testament. Ephesians describes that idea, that up-down. And First Thessalonians describes that horizontal, what it looks like. How does that manifest in people's lives? That's not manifest. Well, how do you get it? What's the, what's the key to that relationship? How do you get it? Well, he created it. He put it on. In other words, I received this. I receive it. And I put it on. I'm going to wear it. And, and so, you see, like, even from the illustration, put on the new man. Alright? In other words, you put it on. Make it you. Make it your, your own. You see, when we begin to wear the things that we're learning, change comes. We begin to wear the things that we're learning, revelation comes. We begin to wear the things that we're learning, action is just around the corner. Something good. That's what happens. And so, our priesthood, if we'll take it on, I mean, it's one thing for me to say, you know, we're a kingdom of priests. Book of Revelation says so. Well, it does. But if you ain't living it, what does it mean? Nothing. You might memorize the verse. I got the verse memorized. Good. What does it mean? Nothing unless you got you put it on and live it. You got to wear it. 
You got to wear it. And so you think about the, the role of the priest. Is that the role of the priest? I mean, they serve in the presence of God. That's what they did. That's what we do. We serve in the presence of God. Toward God, toward people. And, and then he, he ends his, these, these two verses here in Luke 1, this prophecy. He ends by saying this is our whole lives. And I want you to read that two different ways. Our whole lives. Meaning everything. And that, that involves time. That involves effort. And that just involves who we are. And what's great about God is He knows who you are. <laughs> like your whole person. Things that other people don't know. Like we don't know about you. But He knows. And He still likes you a lot. Um, he still offers you everything that I've been talking about tonight. Because that's what the gospel is all about. That, that that salvation, that rescue is the means by which we get to this place of intertwining our lives with God. He still wants to intertwine His conversation with your conversation, His life with your life, His purposes with your purposes. He wants you to come and be a part of that. He does. And He knows everything about you your whole life. There's nothing to hide. There's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing to, to worry about. He's already seen it, known it. He, it, it, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. You, yeah, I mean, sometimes we get embarrassed in front of people. Well, in a sense, you should be more embarrassed in front of people than you are in front of God because He's already seen it and knows it and loves you anyhow. Okay? I mean, you might reach a point with a person and you tell them the wrong thing. They may be like, ew, you get out of there, right? But God never does that. Never. Never. And so that's, that's kind of what that, that means. But then the other part of our whole lives, it means all the days of our lives. All the days of our lives. I was teaching yesterday, and I made a statement because I was teaching on the tongue. I was teaching on how we speak to one another, how we talk to one another. And I was giving some practical teaching on that. Now, I don't often teach things like that. And I made a statement. I said, I generally teach ideas and principles rather than teaching directions. And, but every now and then, I'll feel like, you know, this is something that needs to be said. And so I'll give a direction. And I'll say, this is something I believe we need to hear. This is something we need to put into practice. Do this. Every now and then. Not very often. And I always feel uncomfortable when I do that. I hate telling people what to do. I do. And people come to me all the time like, hey, I've got these two choices. Which one should I do? I hate that. All right? All right? And, and, well, what do you want me to say? Because <laughs> that's really the question. What do you want me to say? That's what you want to hear. And, and so, you know, I, I've found ways to deflect that. I've figured out ways to get around that or to help them come to their own decision, conclusion. They might ask my opinion. I'll give you my opinion, but don't ask me what to do. I just feel uncomfortable with that. And so, as I made that statement yesterday, I thought about that for a second. And, and the idea of principle is important. Because when we're called into this place, the place of the gospel, when we're rescued, when we're delivered, and that salvation, we're saved. You know, you all know that word. We're saved. 
Well, that means leads us to an end of, of closer to Jesus. That, that means leads us to an end of intertwining our lives with Him. That means leads us to an end of, of entering into His purposes and taking hold of His purposes for our lives. That's what it leads to. All those things lead to that. And it puts us in that position where our lives are in sync and intertwined with His life. And we're looking at the privilege it is to serve. We're looking at the privilege it is to live. We're looking at the privilege it is to go about the business that God has and to be just a part of that. And to live as a part of that. A privilege for that. Well, there's nothing that's really integrated into what I just said that has anything to do with following the rules. In fact, the idea of following rules goes against what I just said. Because it's not about the rules. It's not about the stuff that you're supposed to do. And it's all about Jesus. And, and really responding, reacting, and finding life in Him. That's what it's really about. And, and there are certain principles that we can apply to our life that if we can put them on, you know, we can enter into a deeper place. If we can put them on, we can enter into a more intimate place with Him. If we put them on, we can be more effective in the purposes that we're pursuing with Him and that He's pursuing with us through our lives. If we can put those principles on, that helps us to grow. That makes sense to the process that I'm describing tonight. But following rules doesn't. Following rules and a rote set of, of stuff is so non-organic and non-relational that just we know from history it leads to nothing good. Nothing. Because even a well-ordered people all following the rules may be horrible at really living Jesus through their lives. And I've definitely seen that. Some of the meanest people I've ever met are Christians. They just are. And and I tell people that and I say, isn't that rude of you to say that? Maybe. It's definitely honest though. And it's definitely the truth as far as I'm concerned. Some of the meanest people I've ever known in my life are Christians. And I want nothing to do with that. Nothing. And so I want to wrap myself and be entwined as much as I can, as deeply and tightly as I can with Jesus. Because that's how I want to live. I want to get my cues from Him. Purposes, plans, future. All that. I want to intertwine with Him and what He has for me. Because that's what matters. And really that that end game of the gospel, that end game of your salvation, that end game of your deliverance, your freedom, your rescue is, is really that. Because that's you for the rest of eternity. That's you. That's me. It starts now. We get a chance to learn how to actually live in that. We get a chance to actually learn what it is to, to live through that. And to find Him living through our lives here, now, right now, we get that opportunity, that privilege of seeing that happen. 
Should we choose it? And so I just want to encourage you to choose that. I read something as I was uh, putting a kind of final thing on what I'm saying here tonight. It says, this greater is he that serves from love than he that serves from fear. And you know that's true. Greater is he that serves from love than he that serves from fear. I'll take a few moments and pray. So I encourage you to respond. Like I said, when I first started, uh, really, response is what matters. How you respond. What you're able to put on. Got the garment. What can you put on tonight? What can you let affect you? Can you lower your guard enough? Lower your guard enough to let something affect you? To let a word affect you tonight? Heavenly Father, I I just pray that um, you speak into our hearts and lives and I pray your word would have its effect in us I ask you that we would let down our guards and allow you to have your way but Lord I thank you for your salvation tonight and I thank you for your rescue your deliverance I thank you for all those things that happened in my life but I really, 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 really am grateful for where all that has led me into an intimacy, into a friendship, and into a relationship where my life can be joined with you and your purposes and your plans. That can be a part of my life every day as I walk, every day as I speak, every day as I go about my business that that is just intertwined in me. You're intertwined in me. You've made declarations over me that change who I am. Should I allow them to? Declarations over me that put me in a place of priesthood. Should I allow them to? to serve in your presence the people that I'm around you give you thanks it's an honor it's a privilege to worship you it's an honor it's a privilege to do what you have for me to do it's an honor and a privilege to live in this world for the opportunity see people's lives changed so thanks I pray you continue to speak to us tonight I pray God we be drawn closer 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 to you I ask it in Jesus name that's what we must say in amen amen UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies.
That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the comunidad. Yeah, see, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah. 